Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Mm-hmm. Dr. Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life, as we always say. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Hi, everybody. We're glad to be here today. We've been having some great conversations before the show. <laughs> As usual. Yeah, and so uh, we've got some good things in, on, on, on board today. And uh, one of the things about the intro I, I want to talk, not talk about, but, you know, we talk about finding hope in the midst of struggle and suffering and pain and the resilience. And you know what really strikes me? Uh, we do specialize in trauma recovery, the general topic. But anyway, getting back to what we were talking about, which uh, we're talking about trauma recovery. But you know what? One of the things I do want to always put in is we're not talking about transcending the process of what you have to go through and becoming superhuman. Superhuman during these times means you're going to go through it and come through the other side a better person. But you're going to feel everything that everybody else does. And that means emotionally it could be hell on wheels. It could be absolute agony. And there's no... um, minimizing it really but what we're saying is to 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 have in in mind what we offer you is going to help you get through it and have hope deeper down while you're going through it and that's really important we do it i can assure you i feel everything anybody else does um there's different difficult situations that i know i'm facing and i've been dealing with many different situations in my life and other people's but i can tell you this that there is going to be a better day um, and that you got to keep that in mind when those emotions are running really intensely, and they do. You can't get around it. The only way you can get around it is to run away from it. And when you do, it's going to catch you later and bite you. And I always tell people, don't do that. They pay, the consequences are much more severe. So I'm a proponent of working it through, hanging in there, and knowing there's going to be a better day, and there really is hope, and you can come out a better person from it. If you run away, the chances are, the consequences are going to, can be a lifetime of, of trouble and pain. We've seen enough of that with folks. But anyway, Jenny has more to say. I do. I okay. do. And the first thing I'm going to say is, again, to let everyone know that we do want to hear from you. If you have feedback for us, if you have questions following our podcast today or any other podcast you may have listened to, we do want to hear from you. You can contact us by phone at 707-781-3335, or you can contact me by email, and I'm Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y, at Mm BernsteinInstitute.com. We do care about answering your questions and meeting your needs. And speaking of meeting needs, Mm. I want to um, get into a little bit of what we're going to do today. Um, and this takes us back. I just want to go back to last week for a moment uh, when Peter uh, is somewhat of a newbie on Instagram, but enjoyed very much uh, kind of giving um, 
sharing a memory, sharing experience that he had at a local restaurant with some great people. It's called Sax's Joint. <laughs> and Peter has continued to go there, and he's taken Lynn's wife there back when she could go out and enjoy a meal with him at a restaurant. And the women at Sax's know Peter and know Lynn and have, over the years, seen um, the great love and respect that that relationship uh, is so clearly full of. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, in fact, even, and I'm, I'm stealing your thunder a little bit here, uh, when, back when Lynn really couldn't do her makeup anymore, Peter went in to Saxes. Uh, <laughs> I think it was maybe one of the places he went. He also went to Ulta. Well, they wear thicker <laughs> makeup than most places. <laughs> and he says, help, help, how do I do my wife's makeup? And they were so impressed, they laughed, but they also were impressed with a man who loves his wife so much that he's willing to get into a huge sweat. <laughs> Literally. Getting, helping his wife with her makeup. So anyway, Peter went in last week, and as usual, they, uh, the, the ladies wanted to know how Lynn was doing. And they said again how it much it meant to them to have had the chance to see a truly loving, committed relationship mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. lasted through the years and mm-hmm. survived this very difficult time when Lynn is... Her health is failing, and Peter's love for her is only increasing. How, that's, that's how does that happen? And I just, my heart goes with this because I think of the things, so many things you are good at and have done through your career. One of the really, really outstanding ones, because I have been a recipient of this too, is how do you create and maintain a loving relationship that really makes a difference? Mm-hmm. Um, I think many people want to know how to do this. They want to have a good, loving relationship. Sure. They want to be able to create it and keep it going. And you have so much to offer people because you've done it yourself uh, well, and helped I'd others to do it too. It. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a very special topic in my life because it helped me become a better person, uh, a much better person. I found the, the right woman who really has complimented my life and brought out the best of me and, and um, stimulated me to want to be a better man for her, for my family. For She was right there. And she proved how loving she was too and giving and unselfish um, in every way. And I've learned so much from her. And now that she's so ill, to be honest with you, we're still learning from her. She shows a, a strength and a grace that is so touching, um, and I don't want to let her go. And I know that's going to—that's—that's that's inevitable, and it's closer than not. But she's not in any pain, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm probably in more pain than she is. But it's a really interesting topic because it's one that I've helped a lot of people with for many years, um, as a clinician, as a family therapist. Um, I thought I knew a lot, but I'll be honest with you. What I'm learning now is so much farther along than what I did before. And it's not clinical. It's human. And uh, I'm, I'm a grateful man to have things, th- people coming to me and things happening now that never would have been expressed or shared with me unless I had been going, unless I hadn't, I'm going through a hard time. Amazingly, uh, the kind of things that are coming through to me, 
generosity of spirit, the observations that people make and share with me, uh, I need it all. I'll be honest with you. But I think well, going, getting back to Saxes, and it's a very interesting, it's a cool place. Uh, it's designed as a, like a diner in the 1950s. <laughs> and <coughs> excuse me, it's run by ladies who were uh, bikers. Yeah. One of them parks her bike out front. Yeah, Pink Carly. But they're really, on the outside, they're good-looking, but they're tough. But inside, boy, they have hearts that are so beautiful. In fact, the owner, um, Kimberly, has been a caregiver for her family, her dad, who actually passed away, and they, she took care of him. And he's the one who stimulated she and her sister to open a restaurant and not work for anybody else anymore. And I guess that was something that he shared with them as he was... I think dying. Sax was his nickname, wasn't it? Didn't I don't they know. name it after him? You know, I don't know, but um, he was the one who stimulated and gave him the idea, and mm -hmm. um, they've done, they're doing very well. But they also have a staff of really great young women. Um, it's funny to see them dressed like a throwback to the 50s. They weren't born in the 50s. They weren't born in the 70s. They are young, beautiful. <laughs> this is retro for them. They're young, yeah. but they're outstanding young women. <coughs> of course, we have a nicer, excuse me, a nice relationship. But the other day when I went in, they, it was quiet for a little bit. It's usually very busy. And for some reason, all the girls sat down with me while I was eating and began to share with me their heartfelt observations of what they've seen between Lynn and I and my love for her, my dedication and caring. And they shared to me with me how much it means to them. Um, now, most of them aren't married yet, and uh, one of them has a, uh, she's engaged, beautiful young girl, but they're not ready. And they don't, not, I don't think any of them have come from, that I know of, have come from easy backgrounds. They haven't. But one of the amazing things is that they have watched me carefully and they've absorbed with the love that I have for my wife, what I go through. And one of the things they said, one of them, Elena, and she's, she's not even 21 yet. She said to me, you know, considering everything, you're doing pretty good. Now, when she said that, what was really amazing to me, that she said it with such a wisdom and, um, with the experience of knowing me, our you know our our producers doing all kinds of stuff. I don't know yeah. what he's doing. You keep going because it's all it's all happening. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, we're okay. Okay, yeah. He's, we got to get him to settle down because he's so distracting. He's a little antsy back there or something. Yeah. Anyway, but we were t we they were talking to me and they shared with me what it has meant to them. They knew Lynn. They loved Lynn, um, but they said the thing that really knocked them out because I tend to be a macho type character, was when I came in and I had to figure out how to do Lynn's makeup. Now, I'll tell you, every male cell in my body, it went against everything in my body, but it was something that my wife needed. And I had no, I'll be honest, I had no clue. I didn't even know what women had to go through to put makeup on. Now I have the greatest appreciation, honestly. I had a, a I liked it. I liked to see women looking lovely. I had no clue what it took to get there. Now I do. So they, they took that and it really just touched their hearts and, and it, it brought a little laughter to them um, and a glee of that some, a man could love his wife this much to do something like this for her. And they were right. And that was the beginning. And they've watched me ever since. 
thank goodness I do not have to do that anymore. We have caregivers. I am so grateful because <laughs> I would break out in a sweat, much greater sweating doing that for Lynn than I do when I work out. So it would make me that anxious. But I would do it for her. And uh, I got to be, I wouldn't say really good at it, but I certainly developed a true appreciation for what it takes to put that stuff on. I saw all that happen. I was a witness, too. And uh, so we'll come back to it, all right? Yeah. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Today we are talking about something that I think almost anyone would like to know more about, which is how to create, how to sustain a loving relationship where each, par each partner is dedicated and caring and even maybe selfless and sacrificial. Well, not maybe. And, definitely. Uh, definitely. And uh, Peter has lived this he and lynn have been close together for 40, 40 46 years 46 years yeah. and uh kind of what sparked today is uh, a time that peter spent recently at sax's joint uh, which is a restaurant here in town uh, with the ladies there who have watched and been impressed by your dedication to lynn well i think it did more than impress them it gave them something to look look for for themselves and I hear that they don't want to settle for anything less now. And they might have, I don't know if they would have before, but now they won't. Because they see what real love is. Real selflessness and giving and unselfishness. Lynn and I have had a very close relationship and have loved each other. for the. I, I would say the whole 46 years we've been very close. But we've had our ups and downs, not in conflict with one another, but we certainly had difficulties in our lives. We both brought a lot of baggage to our marriage and our relationship. Um, uh, Lynn had kids from another marriage. We both had been married before, failed marriages. Um, so when we came together, we wanted to make sure we never had to go through that again. That was a good start, and we learned a lot. I learned a lot uh, about what it would take to build a, a good marriage and how important it is. You make a really, I just want to say you make a really good, there's two points there I think we want to be sure we talk about today. And one is the inevitable ups and downs that happen in life to a couple that, that is, is not part of the relationship but comes into their life as a couple. And then there are the issues, the ups and downs that can come because each individual brings their own issues, their own baggage, as you said, baggage to a relationship and, and what it takes to make sure that that doesn't damage uh, the relationship. And that's, that, now, that's a very big issue. You know why it's a big issue is because we're dealing, we're, we're talking about trauma recovery. So most people that we deal with, including ourselves, have brought, that baggage has to do with past trauma. It could have been in relationships, it could have been developmental, you know, growing up. But there's plenty, there was plenty of pain and plenty of troubled uh, issues that we brought with it, that we bring with us, that probably would have set us up for broken relationships and broken marriages and damaging children. I, I'm, I can count on it. But the key was really a commitment not to let that happen. Now, I've dealt with hundreds of couples and families, 
and as far as the hours, thousands of hours with them. And one of the things that I see that it, there's something about not how much baggage somebody's carrying, but the personal integrity that they carry deep within themselves. What does that mean? It means that they're aw they become aware of how destructive destructive they could be with their because of their past and because of what they've been like in the past. But something within them says, "I don't want to hurt this person that I'm with that I love. I don't. W I know I could. I've come from difficult families, difficult marriages, all kinds of troubles." I know myself. I know what I can do. And that's the last thing I ever want to do to this person that I'm with. Now, I've heard more people say that and then go ahead and do it anyway, and they're just f beside themselves because they swore never to do it. That's how deeply ingrained these destructive behaviors and um, traumatic situations can go. They distort our complete nervous system and our development and our perspective in our reactions. And it's not all conscious either, but um, powerful stuff. We, we've, you know, I think that this is important. You know, two things are happening. Valentine's Day is coming, so we're talking about loving relationships, and it's timely. But the other part we've been talking about is the effect of being an empathetic, caregiving person, uh, for first responder, home caregivers, nurses, doctors, the kind of thing that and these are the folks I'm talking about that not, don't hide behind their professional roles, but are very human and interactive. The frontline workers, they absorb an awful lot of distress, and they take it on. And it's inevitable. We've talked about how important it is for them, for all of us, to learn how to deal with this and recognize it within ourselves so we don't let it take over and be, begin to create destructive reactions. I think last week we talked about, um, what we, we were talking about, I think the movie was American Sniper, uh, Navy SEALs, we've been involved with them in the past, helping them. But one of the things we were talking, what that movie illustrated was how difficult it is to be in a war zone, a battle zone. You can't be vulnerable, you can't be intimate. Your nervous system has to be on hyper arousal, it's survival, life and death and how your nervous system is intuitively and automatically tuned to protect itself and to be ready for battle, danger. Um, nervous system has also got another part, and that is to discharge and get rid of all that energy that goes into that when the threat and the battles are over. And we, there are ways that we do it that are very primitive, very similar to a deer in a field after the uh, predators left and they shake off that energy and their eyes soften and they go back to eating um, in the fields. Well, we have, we have that too and our system wants to go back to relaxing. It wants to go, let go of that and go back to what they call a parasympathetic state, which is where, where oh, things are calmed down, we're safe, the energy is much quieter and sweeter and calmer. We have that in us too. And our nervous systems want to get to that place. Here's the problem. When you're in danger and you're, you've been traumatized, a lot of times our nervous systems won't go back. They stay in that hyperarousal, hyperload state. And the energy stays high and intense and defensive the whole time. Now tell me, how does that fit in an intimate, loving relationship? It doesn't. There are maybe moments, but it does not. Well, in a good, loving relationship, 
intimacy is a very important part of things where we can let down where we can go can be open and trusting and loving and soft and tender well now somebody who's had a traumatic past um, we consider that very threatening and all of a sudden the relationship becomes a threat the intimacy becomes a threat so what they'll do is destructive things to cut themselves off maybe they'll do it in the name of protecting their partner from these terrible things um, or whatever they say but really it's protecting themselves mostly from beginning to feel what they've been through and the pain that they carry um, it's very important we've learned to help folks to diffuse that to work it out in in ways that we've learned and work that we've done um, with the nervous system with the body to get them to the point where they don't have to carry that anymore and if they do they can discharge it or be aware of it and not let it interfere with their intimate lives now a lot of people don't first responders have a very their divorce rate is 80 percent that's pretty high their life expectancy is 15 years shorter than the norm their cancer rates are much higher. Many of these things are because of being stuck in that hyper-aroused system of stress and distress all the time. That doesn't lend itself to a loving relationship. Can I, can I just, I want to put something in too, which is that just so that everyone knows, yes, uh, military, first responders, caregivers encounter, encounter an incredible amount of stress and trauma on the job. But I just want to mention that uh, when we, when you, put together your book, Trauma, Healing the Hidden Epidemic, the major stressor that we saw all around us was financial. It was um, at that time. At that time. Right. So just everyday regular listeners to our podcast, to, to what we're doing here, work stress, financial stress, uh, there are plenty of things that add stress to a relationship <coughs> that would interfere with being able to have this good, strong, intimate connection. That could interfere yes. does it have to and the answer is no it's learning to work together and how to cope and to trust one another and to balance each other out um, I know my wife and I have had that for a long time where I have strengths but I have other things that I didn't have the trust and faith that she did but she she could come alongside me and say don't worry about it it'll be okay and let's just deal with things today we need to we need to help each other with that um, if you have two, a couple where they're both very tense and hyper alert and um, un, uh, aroused, you know, and, and tight, that doesn't make for good loving relationships. In fact, it makes for something different where they'll be together and they have a what they call a homeostatic a balance, but it's not healthy. It's dysfunctional. What does that mean? It means that that's the way they get along. But underneath it, there is very little capacity for intimacy. They even may love each other. But as far as the way they are together, the way they relate, it's not warm and loving very much at all. So what we're talking about is, can you have a loving, warm, caring, selfless relationship, even with all the difficult challenges in life? The answer is absolutely. Absolutely. Um, does it, do people have to either grow up with that, or do they have to learn it by mentoring and being coached by people that know how to do it? The answer is yes. And it's not by what we say only, it's by what we are and who we are. Like I said, I've helped a lot of people um, and for a long time. Here's the really interesting thing. Now that Lynn is so sick, and the challenge to me is loving her so deeply and selflessly, like I never knew I could be capable of, 
but there was there's something more to it. There's a I've been married a long time and I've been around a lot of people and yet you know, there wasn't this transparency of how, our love for one another and what was until now. Now is when people come up to me wherever I am, particularly in our community of Petaluma, but in other places that people know me, and they comment on what they see and how much it affects them. And basically, they're seeing a transparency of love and caring that they weren't aware of before. And it's not just somebody telling them and lecturing them. They're witnessing it. We've seen a lot of couples who thought they had loving relationships, and I just want to tell you, this is the truth. And all of a sudden, they come to realize they don't have loving relationships at all, and they never even knew it until they saw what Lynn and I have together during this very difficult time, too. Now, all of a sudden, they look at their own lives and go, oh, my God, I don't have that. I'd love to have that, too. I don't even know how to get there. And what I thought was loving, what I thought was caring and sharing, it wasn't. And it's like an awakening. So I find that this is a time of difficulty for sure. And transparency, it's inevitable. And yet the impact that it's having on me and on others uh, observing and watching and being around it is profound. So there are some good things. I was telling somebody today, there's some really good things that are happening. I get comments from people I've known almost all my life on Facebook, and they're, they're following what's going on with Lynn and myself. I assure you, no one, people weren't sharing with me the way they share now, with their caring, with their with their uh, love and their generosity of spirit and empathy. It never would have been expressed until now. And it's beautiful. It means so much to me. And I see it all over the place. So I'm looking at this very difficult time in my life with my wife. And I'm saying one of the really positive good things that are coming out of this is look at the acknowledgement and the empathy that's being expressed by people to me now that they never would have shared with me before. Maybe they felt it, maybe they didn't, but I'm getting so much of that. That is what touches me and means so much. Do I think a lot of people can learn from this? I know they can. And uh, I know a lot of people who thought they had very good relationships. Well, I think they were fooling themselves because they didn't. It doesn't mean they all didn't love each other either. Some do, but they just don't know how to have one. Other people are discovering they have gone through patterns. It's called reenactment. I think we talked about this. Yeah, I think we, we did. And, and let's, let's hold off on that for a moment. Um, let's take a break first and okay, come back. Sure. Okay, You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And again, today we're talking about a topic for everyone. How do you create, maintain, live in a loving, caring relationship? And we covered a lot of ground in the last segment. Um, we talked about uh, 
two things that must happen, mm-hmm. uh, two points. Uh, in a loving relationship that is dedicated and caring, uh, ups and downs from outside are going to happen. And do you hold together? Do you pull together to get through them? The other is each person in a relationship brings in issues, baggage, difficult things that happened in, in their past. It could be as their children or in their adult life, uh, prior marriages, prior anything. How do you prevent that from damaging the current relationship? Uh, one thing you said, Peter, in the last segment about the, the ups and downs, uh, kind of a, I want to point out that we had kind of a direct answer for that. And that was how important it is for a couple, each member of the couple, to trust one another, to know that they can help balance each other, that they have complementary strengths, that they can aff- guide each other through very difficult times if one of them is stronger in that area than the other, that couples who have the same fears, the same uh, blind spots, the same issues about something are unable to navigate some of those things. They can't balance. They can't balance. They're not balanced in the relationship. So we, we talked about that a bit, and, and just before the break, we were getting back to the other thing, which is the baggage that can come into a relationship, one of which gets expressed in reenactment. Yeah, and we write about that. We talk about that a lot because we deal with trauma. We also talk about triggering for empathetic, empathetic, empathic people like ourselves, caregivers, first responders, caregivers of all, all types, nurses, doctors, counselors, therapists, coaches, mentors, um, lots of different folks that have a heart for helping others. Yeah. Um, the triggering will bring out, eventually, bring up old material, the old baggage that we're carrying. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the socially accepted defenses that we've put together don't hold after a while because the work we do is so overwhelming and so demanding that we can go in there with a really good, in- good intentions, but good intentions are not enough um, because what you find is they're under pressure. And when you're helping someone in distress, when you're in a battle zone, when you're in a, helping somebody go through sickness and dying and death, well... Those facades of defenses eventually don't hold up anymore. And we want to do good. We want to be able to do something. And the, the agony of it is we can't always do something. No, we're not perfect. We're human. And uh, relationships need to be able to, to work through those things too. But what, what do we need to be really be aware of as much as we can? Well, we talked about trust. And uh, I think what we've seen plenty and I know Jenny's at the Institute the Bernstein Institute and she she's the art administrator actually that we have couples that come in and what you see is they do certain patterns of behavior that knock the heck out of trust and trust in a relationship and they can be corrected you can point it out to them and they keep doing it to the point where the trust is shattered the relationships at best become well I care about you but I don't love you. Um, And what happens is that... There are consequences. There are eventual consequences. If you keep hurting somebody, if you keep carrying over a certain behavior that's detrimental to your other person, that's not loving. That's destructive. Um, And you don't stop. That after a while, a person's going to say, don't apologize anymore. I don't trust your apologies even. That does happen. We've seen that, and it's heartbreaking. Um, 
But what we'll see is, well, what goes into a person doing these destructive What would patterns? drive someone to do something that, I mean, I don't think anyone sets out, wants to consciously destroy their marriage or their relationship. But something else is going on. Well, some people do want to, but we're talking about the people that say they don't want to ruin a marriage. That's right, yeah. But they come from backgrounds where they've been damaged, abandoned, hurt. We've helped so many people in the military and every walk of life where they do these destructive patterns. And when they come up, boy, do they take everything down that's valuable. And um, I'm thinking some examples of what, what, what does reenactment look like? First of all, it's part of your nervous system. And um, that really runs the show, believe it or not. And uh, if your nervous system in, our, in your development, let's, let's say that, um, has needs, and the needs are fulfilled, like a baby is go through the phases and the mom is providing all the needs, eventually that need is taken care of and they go to the next stage of development very naturally. But if for some reason the need is interrupted, the mother abandons the child, cuts the child off, um, doesn't want anything to do with the child anymore. If the, if the father decides that he wants to have a, a relationship with another woman and abandons the child, that creates a disturbance in the development where the basic ne satisfaction of the need, normal need for a person to grow to the next stage doesn't get met or does that get, get completed. It's that incompleteness that leaves the nervous system on hyper alert, very high energy and on the neediness that causes this there's a drive inside the nervous system to always look to, for that love, that need, that whatever they didn't get, they look for it. They, it needs to happen. And well, it, doesn't, it doesn't go away if it happens for a child during their development. It doesn't go away when they become an adult. It is in their system. It, it is, unless there's corrective action taken. Well, one of the things that does happen, though, with reenactment that is very disturbing is you can see that... It's like a moth attracted to a, a flame, and they're going to be burned, and they can't help themselves for, be, to, for being attracted into the flame. That's kind of what reenactment's like. So we have seen people who do certain behaviors. Let's say a man who was abused by his mother and rejected and, and, mis and, and, and hurt um, will choose, and rejected, will choose women that they love, or they say they love, but the women will will be cold or removed or don't want anything to do with them. If they, for by a chance, find a woman that loves them, could love them, these people will actually do things to cause the reactions of rejection and uh, feeling repulsed, and they don't even want to have anything to do with this person. And the person keeps doing the destructive behavior and over and over again. you got to ask yourself, what are they doing that for? They're going to lose the relationship. They're going to be, it's going to fall apart. Um, he's hurting himself or she's hurting herself, but he's hurting his partner and he just keeps doing it no matter what that the wife says. Um, what you look at, you got to go, what is driving that person yes. to do these destructive things and actually design the relationship in so, to Why be destructive? Why would they put themselves in that situation okay. over and over again? Well, consciously, they're not doing it that way. It's unconscious, but it's in the nervous system. They're looking for the love that they never got in a similar situation. They're creating it in hopes that they're going to get that love. But this time, this woman who is rejecting me will actually stop and give me the love that I always needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 
We've seen it so many times. Um, these destructive patterns are very tough. It is so strong. I know this may not quite be the right technical word, but to me it's almost like it's biological. It is so it, in, deep within each person that it's, it feels like an absolute, phys, almost like a physical need. It is neurobiological. And our job really is to get people to attain their vision, to have a sweet life. They have a future. They have something that we want to help them get there. we got to help this other stuff get out of the way. Yes. So they can attain their success in their life and the vision for a better life and success. Our job is, if that stuff comes up, we better find out what it's about. If it's in the body, to use the body work that we've developed um, so we can help folks get rid of that imbalance in the nervous system so it can come back to a self-regulating normal place and so they can progress to the next level of development. It is beyond willpower. It's, uh, it takes more than just willpower. But I'll say this about willpower. Um, if people are bringing baggage to a relation, and they know it, and they don't want to hurt the other person. This is the integrity that you're talking right. about. That's right. It does take somewhat of a willpower to go, I know how destructive I can be because of the life I've come from, and this person that I'm with now, I value so much and love so much that I will take the responsibility to do whatever work I have to do so I don't hurt them, I don't hurt the life we're trying to build together and our future together. That integrity creates a deepening of love and purpose that goes beyond words. And it's a, it's a soul, it's a development of the soul and the heart. It is so sweet. That's when people begin to make a deeper, more loving relationship. These aren't perfect people. These are people that have been carried plenty of baggage themselves. It's their attitude toward it. Do they really care enough to take it on no matter how agonizing and difficult it is to face what happened to them and see the damage that's done and straighten it out um, at a biological level um, so that they don't repeat the destructive pattern? What motivates them is their love and their, their love care for their, for their partner. And then their partner then witnesses how hard this is for them, uh, how much they're willing to go through on behalf of their love for their That's partner, right. that they don't want to, to have this become a problem. And that is, like you said, it deepens the relationship to see the commitment that they're willing to take. Well, it stimulates the recipient, the recipient to want to do the same thing. If they feel that love, then it, it creates a deeper, more loving pattern for them. To want to do, if, if when they come up against their difficulties, to do whatever it takes so they don't hurt their partner. And they've seen this. It's a sacrificial love. It is sacrificial. But the integrity is, it's just, it means so much. We're not talking about perfection. It's the exact opposite of folks that say, oh, I love you, I love you, and they keep doing destructive behavior. Yeah. Well, guess what happens to trust? That the words become empty. The water. Yeah. And then anytime the partner be, is abusive, but I love you, what begins to happen, the consequences are, who would trust the apology? Yeah. Who would trust the word anymore? The words are the actions which speak louder. So what it causes is they set up a, re, uh, a rejection, a repulsion. They've also hurt people that needed to feel love yeah. and trust. Yep. So it's a, it sounds complicated. We've been doing it a long time to help folks have successful, loving relationships. I can attest to it personally, um, how destructive I could have been. Uh, I can attest to my wife and how destructive she could have been. We did have past before we met each other. 
it was our commitment to never ever hurt each other with those kind of tendencies and we did all the work that was needed to create a loving sacrificial giving selfless caring for each other mine is going on to this day did i ever think i was capable of being this selfless and the answer is i never knew i could and yet i see it the depth of my love now is more than i ever knew possible i'm grateful and yet the pa the agony of seeing there's nothing I can do to stop this deterioration my wife's going through. It breaks my heart so deeply, and yet I want to just, I feel a gratitude if she's breathing. I feel a gratitude that she's hanging on every day, and she's not in pain, which is really good. But my love, my capabilities of loving have grown so much since. It built on what we had before, but this is since my wife's been sick, and this has been a long illness it's been long long yeah. illness to yeah. me it could be it can be longer and it and i'd be okay with it because i will be there for her in whatever way she needs and i will sacrifice whatever it takes to help her and give her comfort and love and care she knows that she, knows she that. feels it mm -hmm. and it means so much to her it makes all the difference to she her she may not be able to say it in words but she you can see it in her face the peace it gives her the, the comfort of going through what she's going through to the end and she makes her want to stay here and be with you. And she's very determined yeah. to do that the best she can. Um, I'm grateful. But what what, bef let, before you continue, let's let's we need to do a break. We're I know do those break. darn okay. rules. We okay. got to do it. Okay. Go ahead. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We are talking about loving relationships, how to have something that means so much and is often hard to do. We talked in our last segment about what can get in the way of uh, a close, connected, caring, selfless relationship. Uh, we talked particularly about uh, developmental needs uh, that may not have been met uh, as people are growing up and how that unfinished need for love or care can set up patterns of behavior that that just bring destructive uh, destructive events into a relationship where we finish though uh, I want to pick up from uh, is the the integrity the the that people can bring to that relationship that they know they're capable mm -hmm. of these destructive patterns of behavior and they choose as best they can not to bring them into the relationship they'll make mistakes but they work hard to uh, minimize correct grow and both partners can see this happening work together uh, it can become reciprocal the relationship deepens it becomes more sacrificial and selfless uh, people know that they're loved it's not just words the actions show uh, that they're loved and before I turn it back over to you Peter I just want to mention one thing that just personally and it may be a small point that I want to make sure we cover today because I think it I think it's really important 
is one of the destructive patterns that can happen in a relationship is when one partner takes advantage of their other partner's vulnerabilities. Mm. I'm okay. not sure how to lead into that, but I just want to make sure that we do cover that today. No, I'll clarify that. One of the things about intimacy in a relationship is we get to know our partners very, very well. We know their damage. We know what their wounds. We know their vulnerabilities. That's what you're, you're supposed to know that. But it's not meant to be taken advantage of or exploited for the sake of your own selfish needs. Um, I've seen, unfortunately, so many relationships, not all, well, yeah, quite a few, where the indi an individual, a partner, will, will know that vulnerability and use it on their partner and take advantage of it and exploit it to make themselves feel more important, to make themselves feel like uh, their needs are more important and to get what they want. To get what they want. No matter what it does to the other person. I've seen this too many times. I know I've sat with so many couples and I've watched this happen. Um, and usually in these vulnerable areas that a, folk, a person's showing, they also don't have appropriate defenses. So many times when they should be defending themselves, they don't. When they should speak up and put a barrier up, um, for, because they're being exploited or they're being abused or they're being mistreated. Um, they don't say anything. They accept it because when you ask them about this, well, that's the way I've always been treated. That's, that's all that I know. That seems kind of normal to me. That's right. And you'll say, it's, I mean, it's not normal, and I don't mean clinically. I mean somebody who you love and should be taking care of you and protecting that vulnerability and not exploiting it is exploiting it for their own needs. And even if it takes a toll on you, and even if it hurts you, they don't really, they're not caring about you. All they care about are themselves and their own needs. That's a, a kind of a narcissism, a self-centeredness. Mm -hmm. that's, an, that's an opposite of a loving relationship, believe me. And when we talk about things that destroy trust, I think that's a, a very big one, too, to find out for having one partner who, for whom, like you say, what's happening, you know, this is just sort of how I'm used to being treated. And then if they do come to see that they deserve better or that they have been exploited, they feel very, uh, their trust is damaged so much by having this happen to and them. And they're usually very hurt at first, and then they get very angry. Yes. Who are they going to get angry at? Not just the person who originally caused the problem and the damage. Their partner who's been exploiting them for, for, uh, for a long time. Yes, there can be another reenactment. <clears throat> so you're looking thing. at how far down and how deteriorated relationships can become. Can this be corrected? And the answer is yeah. If both people come with a sincere desire to turn things around, even if it's very, if it's late. I want to say too late. We've had, unfortunately had enough that, yeah. that we have a number of them that were too late. And all we can do now is just kind of create, well, I care about them. I don't love them anymore. I go, okay, well, let's see what we can do with that. We do see those. But I'll tell you this. I've seen a number of relationships that did they carry on destructive behaviors that there was a, a real deep turnaround in the individuals. <laughs> and they wanted to save their marriage. They wanted to do whatever it takes. And they didn't just say the words, they meant it. You know, you mentioned earlier, and I heard you say this, it's like, well, we do it together um, as far as working things through. I'll be honest with you, at times, no, you don't. It's each person taking responsibility 
for their own baggage and their own burdens and destructive behaviors. And sometimes it doesn't involve the other person. That's true. It's sometimes one partner's leading the other. Maybe. Or sometimes it's just that's what I have to do in order to protect her. Or I have to do to protect or for for him, I want to make sure I don't do these kind of things because I know how destructive I've been, yeah. and I don't want to do that to him. So I'll take the responsibility of my bad behaviors when they, if and the emotion and the feelings that come with it, and I will confront myself. I will take the challenge on, and I don't have to do it necessarily relationally. I got to do it personally. Yes. And if that means I have to get some coaching, some mentoring, some body work that's very effective, um, I'll do it. You don't Be have to wait. You're right. No. For your partner to come along. You can decide this is something you want to do. That's right. Even it involves, and it most of the time does, involves facing some very intense agony and pain. Yeah. There's no question about it because that's what caused the damage in the first place. But this time, the difference is instead of facing it being inflicted... <coughs> It's facing it to reverse it and heal it. That doesn't mean you don't feel it. In fact, I think you have to feel it most of the time. But not where it's being inflicted anymore, but how to purge it. You know, I just, I just want to throw in something that I think what we're covering could be helped by an example of something. I think people listening might be helped by an example of what we're talking about here, about... Um, uh, either the vulnerability being exploited or someone being willing to take on the challenge of turning things around. I don't know if there's a, 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 an example you feel you would be able to share. Mm. Boy, there's so many. Yeah. Over almost 50 years, I've seen so many. We have a little bit of time. I'm just wondering if, if we, this has been, again, as always, a very packed episode. Okay. Well, it, I, I want to do one thing with this. I want to connected up with we're really invested in helping caregivers okay. and first responders right mm -hmm. and we've seen how destructive they can be to their personal lives and how they can hurt their partners um, and how many times they don't take responsibility for what they're the damage they're doing they'll they'll just cut themselves off from the other, from their partners and their families and then their wife or, or husband becomes nothing more than a caregiver for them there's no real love anymore or open, vulnerable exchanges. Um, we have seen that so many times. The key really there would be, let's say the first responder who's been through a really rough time, a terribly traumatic time that's affected them, it has to. Mm -hmm. Takes the responsibility of facing how it's affected their body, their emotions, their, their, their biology, everything. and do whatever it takes to get that um, purged. And uh, we, our work definitely does that. Um, and it's dealing with the body. It's also having somebody to, as you're getting that cleared out, somebody come alongside you to give you some mentoring and coaching on how to get your perspective back in spite of what's happened and have a more open mind and hopeful approach to healing and rebuilding the relationships. So, you know, I, I, I kind of feel that I want to, my heart is with first responders and caregivers, and when I hear an 80% divorce rate, it's, it, turns, it turns my guts over. Because we've saved so many marriages, and yet that, that statistic is still pretty accurate. The, the real people behind that statistic is, is 
Painful. Painful. And so we're talking about having the integrity to face whatever we carry, the damage that we could do, and do whatever it takes not to hurt our family and partner, but not cut them off in the name of protecting them because really what we're doing is protecting ourselves so we don't have to feel mm -hmm. what's going on. You gotta, you gotta feel it, you gotta face what's, what you're carrying yeah. and what you've absorbed, but then you gotta have ways to get it cleaned up. And, and we do that all the time for, for how people do that. The examples, I could think of many. <clears throat> I think of uh, one, there's so many that come to mind, but um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a lady that um, has never had, never really, she's a lovely lady, beautiful lady, but she's never had a loving, really, truly good relationship from her father on up. And she's never been treated well by any man. And she's always found men that have a contempt for women, that treat them in a very objectifying way, um, that don't treat women very good. And for years, she didn't even know that she was being treated so badly. And um, her vulnerabilities were pretty intense because she had some pretty painful things happen to her in her life. Um, and her partner would, let's say for sexuality, would exploit her woundedness and her pain as a little girl when she would feel needy as a little girl. And instead of helping her through it, they begin the partner, the husbands will begin, or the partners, to act out being the abusive father figure and treating the woman like she's a bad little girl again. And and then the little the woman will surrender as a little girl mm. in such pain. And then the, the, the husband will take advantage of it because he can get sex, he can get himself taken care of, mm -hmm. not knowing, not even caring how much damage he's doing to his wife or lover as this is happening, instead of realizing, uh-oh, she's going into that painful place. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a time to exploit her, but to protect her. Yeah. Not to take advantage of her, the painful little, pained, hurt little girl, but to love her through it to protect her, to care for her, know that she's she's got someone in the present that really her well-being means everything. And my needs are secondary right now to getting her through it, not exploiting her and looking at her opportunistically. That would be an example. There's so many yeah. um, that I can think of, um, that one and was, I don't want to go into it. There's a yeah, lot of well, them, maybe some other time. One. That was a good, clear <clears> one, and, and thank you. We are unfortunately out of time. Oh, we can carry on next time. Is, mm -hmm. is it Valentine's next week? Valentine's is four days from today, from oh. the day we're recording, but our podcast will go live the day after Valentine's okay. Day. Okay, we'll do some more on this. We can keep going. Sure, this Absolutely. is a good subject. It's a good topic. Thank you. Mm -hmm. The Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you. If our podcast has been a benefit, and I can't imagine today hasn't been a benefit, please consider donating through sctraumatreatment.org. Uh, you can also like us on uh, Facebook, follow us on Instagram. Uh, our website is www.thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. Again, we would love to hear your feedback. Any questions, any comments, uh, Jenny at BernsteinInstitute.com or 707-781-3335. Thank you for listening. And happy Valentine's to everybody. All our love and gratitude for your listening to us. Take care.